Today we're going to continue in the study of the book of Acts. We'll be in chapter 10. We'll be covering verses 1 through 48. And so chapter 10, verses 1 through 48, just as a heads up, uh, we will be here till Wednesday. Because 48 verses is just a lot to cover. Uh, but we really won't be here till Wednesday. I'm not going to read all 48, but I am going to start in 24. In verse 24, it says, The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Seshura. Cornelius was expecting them, and he called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him, fell down at his feet, and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as they talked, and as he talked with them, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how lawful it is, how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today, Lord, and we are thankful. Lord, we are humbled we are expectant, just as Cornelius was, for you to speak, for you to move, for you to, to communicate with us a, a, a truth that will change us from this point forward. Lord, I pray that you give uh, me the words to explain your word accurately, to glorify your name, to bring fame to your name, Lord. And I pray that you give anyone in here the ears to hear the truth of your gospel, the truth of your word. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We pray to you in the name of your holy and precious son. Amen. Okay, so, so growing up, I hear a lot of people talk about things like, uh, when I was a kid, I played outside all the time, and I rode my bike everywhere. But kids nowadays, they don't do that. Well, I kind of grew up in like the 90s where we were kind of transitioning a little bit. I spent all day, every day outside, locked out of the house, drinking out of the water hose. That's how I spent my childhood. But at night, I also played video games with my friends. I had, I had the regular Nintendo in my early childhood with a duck hunt game. And standing far away, you couldn't get any ducks, so you had to put the gun up to the TV and cheat. You know, it worked. So that's what we did. And then Super Nintendo and then Nintendo 64, where you could plug four controllers in. Four? You mean I could play with four of my friends on my 13-inch TV? You couldn't even tell what anything was anymore. <laughs> But, but you were with friends, right? And that's when I realized that, that playing video games was, was fun and all, but it was way more fun with friends, in a community of friends. 
Well, games evolved. I got older. I got a car, so the bike didn't get as much, you know, use as it used to. And I started playing online games. Now it wasn't just like my friends from my neighborhood. It was, it was thousands, maybe even millions of people across the world that I could play these games with. And that hooked me. It hooked me. From like my junior year in high school up through seminary, I played these online games, and it was really difficult for me to give these games up. And I, and I kind of wanted to ask myself, like, why? I don't really have an addictive personality or anything. So, so what's going on? And so eventually there just wasn't enough time in the schedule to put into these games anymore. So I just kind of let them fade into the background. But ever since I had done that, I kind of thought, what was so appealing about these games? And one day I was thinking and I said, and I, it's community. I had a community within these games. And, and, it, and it was good, like real community where people were real with one another. And, and they weren't trying to put up fronts or anything. And, and, and with this community of people, some of which I could call right now on my cell phone. And they would pick it up and they would say, hey, Joey, how's it going? I haven't heard from you in a while. I've never met this person in real life in my entire life. I've just spoken with them. I just had a common interest with them. And through that, we have shared our lives with one another. They were excited with me when, when I proposed to Cassidy. And when we got married and when we had Remy, I kept friends through these games for that long. They saw these transitions in my life. They knew I was studying to be a pastor. They knew I was living in Fort Worth. They knew I wanted to move back to Lake Charles. They knew these things about me. I knew that they had loss. I mourned with them. I rejoiced with them. I had community with them. And here at Sulphur Community Church, we value community here as well. But here's one of the very interesting things. The online gaming world, nothing Christian about it. Nothing at all. If you want to hear the most obscene things you've ever heard in your life from an 11-year-old, log into an online game. But, this, but the same enemies to community existed in that world and in the church. And the primary one that I saw was some kind of development of an us versus them mentality. Whether it be in the gaming world, like, well, this person isn't as skilled. This person doesn't have the resources. This person doesn't put the time in that we put in. So, so we're privileged. We're elevated. We're, we are set apart. And here we have in the church we have developments of an us versus them mentality as well, whether it be based on race, where we are the majority culture, they are the minority culture. What we say goes, if, we, if you want to put it to a vote, we can, but we're going to win because we're privileged. Our voices are heard. But them, they don't matter as much. Or whether it be based on interest, where we say, well, well, I know how to play all these instruments, and I know everything about music, and, and, and they don't. So I'm going to stick with people with my similar interests, with my similar interests in, in theology, where it's like, well, I consider myself to be an intellectual. And this dude right here, uh, he doesn't really think to see, uh, seem to think really deeply about anything. So, so what happens is, is I'm going to hang around people who are similar to me, and, and other people, they can just be them over there. And this type of development, as we can see, and as we, as we will see, is dealt with in Scripture thoroughly. But through our text today, we are going to see God's answer to the church for any kind of development for an us-versus-them mentality. 
And so starting in verse 1, we have, at Seishur, there was a man named Cornelius. Now, Cornelius is actually a fairly significant character. We know that because Luke gives him 48 verses here. The whole story is recounted in chapter 11 and then again in chapter 15. So if, you, if, if, if the Bible, if Scripture will not let a story go, pay attention. There's something being communicated here. There's something being taught here that is important. And the first thing we find out about him is that he is a, a centurion known of what is known as the Italian cohort. And so he is a member of the Roman army. He is an officer in the army, though that's not his day-to-day job. He's not commissioned, but that's what he does. He leads probably a couple hundred men in the Roman army. And we find out a few maybe characteristics about Cornelius. It says that he was a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed to God continually. And in verse 22, it actually also says that he was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation. So we have this Roman officer with these positive attributes, right? But here's one thing that we're going to see today that is going to become very, very clear. He's still them. He's not us. He's not Jewish. It says that he feared God, and there was a name for people like this. They were called God-fearers. They weren't real original with it, but they were called God-fearers, and basically they had done everything to become Jewish, or most things to become Jewish, except for a pretty significant stumbling block for an adult male, and that was circumcision. Not many dudes lining up to do that. But this puts him in a different category. He can't trace his genealogies back. He's not actually Jewish. See, instead of being accepted, loved, desired, pursued in the synagogues, he's simply tolerated because he's just sharing their interests. He's sharing in their, in their beliefs. He, does, he doesn't get to hear the scriptures in Hebrew. He has to hear them in Greek. That's just another step of, you're not really a part of us. You're still a part of them. And in the church today, I think, in, I think that the, the tolerance mindset is what traps a lot of us, where we say, yeah, I would be okay with more diversity in my local church. You would be okay with it, or you desire it. You would be, you would be okay with it, or do you pursue it? Do you pray for it? Do you mourn that it's not there? Simply being okay with it is not accepting someone. It's not a laying down of your culture for the sake of the gospel. Simply being tolerant, simply being okay it doesn't cross these boundaries that the gospel is about to cross. And so let's continue on in verse 3. It says, About the ninth hour of the day he saw clearly a vision, an angel of God, come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at, and he stared at him in terror, which is a typical response to seeing an angel of the Lord, and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God, and now send men to Joppa, and bring one, Simon, who is called Peter. Just a heads up, that's just Peter. Luke gets a little wordy here, but that's, that's just Peter, the Peter that we know and love. He is lodging with one, Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. And so Cornelius here, he is being prepared to receive a message. 
Cornelius is a soldier. He is used to being obedient. And so he acts as once. He gets one of his soldiers together, some servants, and he sends them to Joppa, just as the angel had commanded him to do. But he is being prepared to hear a message, to receive a message. But, the Peter, but Peter, who is going to give the message, also needs to be prepared. So the Lord is working on both sides. He's preparing Cornelius to receive a message. He's also going to now prepare Peter to give a message. And so in verse 9, we see the next day as they, they being the men that Cornelius sent, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the housetop at the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. And saw the heavens opened up and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. So this is Peter's preparation. He doesn't know that people are on the way. He doesn't know that he's fixing to be commissioned to preach in a few days. He just knows that he was hungry. He went up to pray, and he receives this vision. Now, in this vision, we see that the Lord speaks directly to Peter, and Peter argues with him. That's not surprising if you followed Peter. I would like to believe that I wouldn't argue with the Lord either if he directly spoke to me in such a way, but I probably would. Let's not be too hard on Peter now. Peter, from birth, has been told, you cannot eat these things. They defile you. They make you unclean. Stay away from them. And in this moment, he hears a voice whom he calls Lord. He knows where the voice is coming from and tells him to eat all the things that he has been told not to eat for his entire life. This is something huge for Peter. When Peter sees all these animals on this sheet in a vision, it would have been disgusting to him. It would have been, think of whatever in the world you would find disgusting to eat, and it's, it's fear factor style right there in front of him, and the Lord is commanding him to eat, and so he is not having it. The unspoken line in his argument is, I've never done it, and I'm not going to start now. But a quick read through the book of Mark, we would see that Jesus has actually already taught his disciples that there is no food that is unclean. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus tells them, it's not what goes into the body that defiles a person, but what comes out, because what goes into the body goes into the stomach and is destroyed, but what comes out comes out of the heart. And so this is not a repetition of something Jesus already said. This is a new teaching that God has much wider vision for, and he needs to prepare Peter to have the same vision that he has. And so he says, what God has made clean, do not call common. God did not say, this food is all clean. He said, anything that I have made clean, do not call common. And so then we, we, need, to, we need to take a step back and we need to think, what are things that we are calling clean and common? 
What are areas where we have an us versus them mentality where we have specific interests, we have specific uh, commonalities with other people, and if the Lord were to say, Joey, go here, what would I say? No, Lord, that's unclean. By no means. That is unclean. What would be, you know, kind of in, in our little sheet from heaven where we would stand in superiority over and say, that is below me, Lord. Think about that deeply. Because I was, I was in seminary at Southwestern, and we, we, I had to take an evangelism class, and I absolutely dreaded it. Because I didn't like the gospel? No. Because I didn't believe in it? No. But because we had an assignment, and I knew that assignment was, we had to go to 12 complete strangers, the gospel. We had to go present the gospel to 12 complete strangers. Family members didn't count. Your cousin didn't count. Your best friend didn't count. You had to go to complete strangers and share the gospel with them. And I didn't want to do it. The reason why I didn't want to do it, the reason that I said, is like, well, I'm an introvert. And, and we don't really like doing these things. I don't want to interrupt that dude Starbucks, you know, with the greatest news on earth. You know, and, 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 and so I really had to think about this because I had to do it. And so I had to think about why. And the Lord really worked on me. And the Lord said, Joey, not in an audible voice, don't worry. But the Lord did work in my heart. And he's like, you actually view yourself in some kind of superior position over them. You are saying that they aren't actually worth your time unless, of course, they share one of your interests, unless they are a part of your your online gaming community or they really like playing disc golf or they're already interested in theology or, you know, they really love Taco Bell. Taco Bell is a category of my interest. Don't worry about that. I was like, but they were like, but these other people, you're actually viewing them as other, as separate as inferior to you, as not worthy of your time to go out and try to reach people that I, that I had to, to go out complete strangers and, and, and talk to about the gospel, I was telling the Lord, by no means, Lord. What I actually said was, because I'm an introvert and, and I don't really want to, but, but what my heart actually said was, I'm above them. there's something in your life that that's your communication i'm above them i'm above that task don't you know how educated i am don't you know what i've been through don't you know how i grew up i'm above that situation i'm above that person because that right there that's the root of racial tension that's the root of the racist problem specifically in southern churches that's the root it's us versus them. The privilege is on my side, and I want to keep it that way. I'll tolerate your culture as long as it doesn't interfere with mine, as long as it doesn't interfere with my interests. But the Lord says, what God has made clean, do not call unclean. Do not put yourself in a position that is superior to that. Now, Peter, he's going to pick up quick But right now, dude's confused. That's okay. We know that from knowing Peter. In chapter, I'm sorry, in verse 17, it says, Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he, um, what the vision that he had, 
seen might mean, Behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Peter, who was called, uh, Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I'm the one you were looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright, God-fearing man who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you and to come to his house and hear what you have to say. So he invited the men to be his guests. And so here we see Peter digesting a little bit of the truth that he has just received in the vision, and he invites them in. Now, it was not nearly as socially taboo for a Jew to invite a Gentile into their house. Because remember, Jews are the privileged one. They didn't mind being seen in a light of taking care of an underprivileged person as someone who is other. So they can come in there, but Jews were by no means supposed to associate with Gentiles or, ha- or be inside of a Gentile's house. And we'll see that here in a few moments. And, and that was the social taboo. They weren't supposed to go have lunch with them. They weren't supposed to go get some tacos with them. Nothing like that. It was supposed to be purely, I tolerate you as long as you are over there. You don't get to go where I go. Now, we, of course, don't live in a Jew versus Gentile society. But we do live in a, in a society that has a lot of racial tension, where we have a majority culture versus a minority culture. We live in that type of society, whether it be white versus black, whether it be white versus Hispanic, or white versus someone else, because white is the majority culture. We have the privilege. We have the numbers. We have the voice. But in our churches, that should be an obscenity. In the mouth of a Christian... That has no part. There is no us versus them. And we know that because we know that we were all dead and all in need of grace. And we know that that levels all of us, regardless of race, talent, interest, culture, religion, any other thing that you can think of. There's nothing that separates us from them. And so it says, the next day, Starting uh, in, in verse 23, the next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. So Peter brings some of his posse with him. And on the following day they entered Seshura. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell, on, and fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And so Peter is worshiped by Cornelius. Let's not be too hard on Cornelius. He doesn't know a whole lot. He just knows Yahweh is the one true God and his Roman you know, religion that he would have been taught through the army. That wasn't right. Yahweh is the one true God. And he, he sees Peter as a messenger of God. So he treats Peter like a messenger of God and he falls at his feet. Peter quickly corrects him and says, hey man, stand up. I'm just a guy, but I do have a message. And this is where we really start to see that Peter picks up quickly and starts to distill the gospel wisdom from his vision, starting in verse 27. And he says, As he talked to him, he went in and found many persons gathered, and he said to them, 
you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. And this is where we see, regardless of how well Cornelius is spoken of, he is other. He is them. Peter tells him, you know I'm not supposed to be here. I'm not supposed to be in your house. I'm not supposed to be associating with you because you are not one of us. You are separated. You are not privileged. You are inferior. I am superior. But he says the sweetest words in all of Scripture, the words that bring the greatest gospel truths that you can find from Genesis to Revelation, he says, but God. This is the way man thinks. I'm not supposed to be with you. I'm not supposed to associate you. But God thinks differently. And we should be really happy about that because because God thinks differently, we're all in this room. We have skin in this game. And he says, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. There is no caveat here. There is no narrowing. He says any person, any individual who has ever lived, whoever will live, God has told me none of them are unclean. None of them are common, regardless of race, regardless of interest, regardless of religion, regardless of desire or intent. They are not unclean. He says, Peter, listen up. You have lived your entire life being taught that for centuries and centuries there has been the privileged Israel and everyone else who just kind of suffers unless, of course, they give up their entire culture and adopt yours. Then they can be accepted. Do we have that mindset? Does sulfur community have that mindset? Do we, are we telling Maybe not in words, because we know the words aren't right, but in action. Are we telling the surrounding neighborhoods, you are more than welcome here as long as you check your culture at the door and accept ours? Is that the message we're preaching? Or are we preaching a more gospel-centered message that says, no one is unclean. No one as common. You are welcome. We know that the gospel brings down any form of us versus them. It's all us. We're all dead. We're all in need of grace. We're all in need of Jesus every single day. Think about that. As a church, what are we preaching? As an individual in your day-to-day life, what are you preaching? What are your actions preaching? Again, we know the words to say. We know we can't say that this is the case, but what are you preaching with your actions? You preaching along with Peter here? Or are you not? Verse 29, Peter has a, a, a pretty just legitimate question. He says, so when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, why do you send for me? We get a quick recount of what we've already seen. Starting in verse 30, it says, Cornelius said four days ago about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough 
to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of, in the presence of God to hear what you have been commanded by the Lord. And I have to imagine that this is a little bit awkward for Peter because he doesn't know why he's there. He shows up. There's a whole crowd of people waiting to hear him speak. And they were like, uh, you're here because you got something to say. So let us know what it is. But Peter, anytime in this situation, he says the same thing. He preaches the gospel. And so what we see here is we, is we, see, we see the personal truth. We, we, we have this maybe more abstract truth that no man is unclean, that no man is uncommon, that there's no place for, for racism or religious prejudice or, or prejudice of any kind. But here, starting in verse 34, we get the personal message. It's not that no man is unclean in this broad sense, but you specifically, Cornelius, you are not unclean. You are accepted. You are desired. You are pursued. And and to be honest, I accepted the gospel when I was 16 years old. I'd kind of gone to church off and on from start, starting at about 13. When I heard the gospel at 16, it was not the first time. It was probably the hundredth time. But it was the first time that I became convinced that this gospel applied to me specifically. It wasn't an abstract thought where Jesus died for sinners whatever they are. It wasn't someone just sharing their testimony. And I'm like, cool, so Jesus changed that guy's life. Is that Jesus could change my life, that I was acceptable before God as long as I accepted the gospel. It was personal. It was me. The Lord worked that out in my heart. So starting in verse 34, we get a little bit of a shift here. And this shift affects every page of Scripture written from this point forward. And starting in verse 34, he says, So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. I told y'all he's quick. He's really distilled this down to, to a gospel truth. And in verse 35, he says, But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And so here we, we, have, we, have the, we, have the, we have the soil in which the gospel can grow. Not, a soil, not the soil of, of us versus them or that we are superior to you, but a soil of we're all level. We're all on the same page. We all have the same needs. And, and you specifically, Cornelius, this applies to you. And there's people in this room right now who are, are reluctant to bring something to Christ or to accept this kind of message or they're ex they're, they are skeptical to it because you feel like you haven't done everything right. You haven't done what needed to be done. You haven't cleaned yourself up. You're not a part of the right group. You don't have the right interest. You put yourself or you have been put in the them category and you are over there somewhere. And what I want to tell you is that through this truth, you are not them in Christ, you are us. You are us. You are included. You are desired. You are not simply tolerated. You are accepted. And so in verse 36, after in one sentence, Peter sweeps away, sweeps away centuries of religious prejudice and racism, he begins to work out the gospel. And he says... As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know that what happened throughout all Judea, beginning in Galilee, 
after the baptism of John was proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. God was with him, and we are witness. He, he is sure to point that out. We are, we are eyewitnesses. Peter has saw this happen. And all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem, they put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him appear. Not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people who testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and of the dead. To him, all prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And so Peter sets the new standard. The standard is not adherence to the law. The standard is not circumcision. The standard is faith in Christ. And anyone, regardless of background, who has faith in Christ is included in the redemption that his blood brings, that the cross brings. Anyone, it doesn't matter what ethnicity you come from or economic background or any other wall that we put into place. This is the literal working out of what Paul describes in Ephesians chapter 2 where it says, In Christ, the dividing wall of hostility has been torn down. The playing field is level. We're all dead. We're all in need of Jesus. We're all in need of grace. And guess what? Anyone who believes... Grace is given. No man is unclean. No man is not worth your time. To feel that way is to feel completely and utterly anti-gospel. God takes a step further and he says, actually, in every single nation all over the earth, I have people there. My people are there and I am calling them to myself. No nation is too far, which is really good news for us, because guess what? Jerusalem is a really far way away from here. If there was a nation that was too far, it'd probably be Sulphur, Louisiana. It's on the other side. So, so we take hold that this is the working out of Jesus' promise in, in Acts chapter 1, that the gospel would spread out of Jerusalem, into Samaria, into Judea, and all over the earth. That's how we got here. We have skin in the game. If it was still Jew versus Gentile, guess what? We're all them. None of us are included. We're all living hopelessly. But from this point forward, and we'll see it in the missionary trips of Paul as he spends the majority of his time reaching Gentiles. The most astute Jew is now reaching Gentiles because he understands these gospel truths. He understands that God has made no man unclean, no man common. We have skin in the game because unless one of us has some serious lineage, we're all Gentiles. We're all excluded. But the gospel applies to you, to you who were once far off. You have been brought near. To you who are other, regardless of anything else. The playing field has been leveled, and anyone who believes, actually it says everyone who believes, which I find more comforting, um, believes in him, receives forgiveness of sins through his name. The new standard is Jesus. 
not your performance, but Jesus' performance. After hearing this, what we see is a third Pentecost-like scenario. It'll also be the last Pentecost-like scenario. We had Pentecost in chapter 2 where the Holy Spirit falls. Everyone is speaking in tongues. Everyone is extolling God. It's a physical manifestation of the Spirit. We have one in Samaria which bridges a gap that spanned hundreds of years, unites a kingdom that hasn't been united since King David is now united under King Jesus. And now we have, we have a third, the Gentiles, the rest of the world, not just two sects of Jewish people, but also Gentiles. The rest of the world falls under this Pentecost. And starting in verse, chapter, uh, in verse 44, it says, When Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out on even the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. When Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who had received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked him to remain there for some days. And so we see the Holy Spirit falls just like it did on Jews. Peter is there with his posse. Remember that they are witness to this, which is really, really important because next week in chapter 11, the church is going to get together and they're going to argue about whether or not God can do what God just did. We do that as a church. I'm sorry, but Peter has witnesses and they say, no, they received the spirit just like we did. I was at Pentecost and, and I saw it and it was just like that. And so Peter says, can anyone withhold water? Which is a way of saying, does, does anyone have any objections to baptizing these people? I spoke the word of truth. This is, this, is, this is all kind of new to us, but clearly the Spirit fell. Clearly they are all here. They are extolling God. They are speaking in tongues, uh, which is just like it was in, 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 chapter, in uh, chapter 2. That is separate languages, but known languages. And, and they have Receive the Holy Spirit. Does anyone have a problem with us baptizing these people? There was no objection. From, from the leader of the apostles, Peter, there was no objection. This is inclusive. The Jewish community now says the Gentiles are in this with us. The Gentiles are in this with us. And from this point forward, we just see the continuing grafting in of those who were them those who were other. We see, the, we see the gradual working out of a us versus them mentality, the, the continuing, you know, reduction in, 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 in racism and prejudice. Now, Peter, as we know, later on in Antioch, he, he kind of stumbles on this, and he starts hanging out with the Jewish people and doesn't want to hang out with the Gentiles anymore. Uh, Paul comes and corrects him. But here, from this point forward, this is where we all become Christians. This is where we are grafted in to the family of God. You have skin in this game. You have excitement in these words. And so think about these things. Where in your life are you, are you seeing yourself as us versus them? Where in your life are you struggling to have community? Because that's probably where the presence of an us versus them mentality is. Is it work? Is it school? And no, that truth 
is combated by the fact that you were once far off, that you were once other, and that God has brought you in through no effort of your own. That this gospel applies to you, even if you're here, even if you're skeptical and you're saying, I'm not really buying all this stuff that you're saying. I've seen Christians and I see that apparently they don't jive with you either because they're still, they're still racist, they're still privileged, they're still elitist. And I say, those people are being worked on by the Holy Spirit. Please be patient with us, but let us, but please let me communicate to you. You are desired, skeptical or not. You are pursued whether you're the same race as me or not. You are loved regardless of whether or not we have the same interests or come from the same background. If you've been shown anything else, my apologies. No, this is what we believe. This is what Scripture says. This is the new standard, not of your efforts, but of Christ's efforts of faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today, Lord, and and we are thankful, thankful that you sought us out. Lord, thankful that you grafted us into your family. Lord, thankful that you did not come in and simply choose those who were the absolute best among us or else no one in this room would have made it. Lord, thank you for your grace. I pray that, that, that your word works out these Uh, nuances of of, of racism and and any us versus them mentality that we may have related to any any level uh, of what we may feel superior to someone else in regard to, Lord. We love you. We praise you. We pray these things in the name of your holy and precious Son. Amen.